All right. Thank you all for, for practicing, practicing together. Um, maybe before we start the talk, a couple of announcements. Um, and Eliana is going to put in some links here. I, I just got an email from James Barras, who's been, uh, who is going to be teaching an introduction to mindfulness meditation, to insight meditation, which he, he did for 30 years. He reminded me in the email and that, yeah, but he hasn't done it in 10 years. So I, I guess it's going to be online, but uh, you know, he's really the best person. If you want to like learn this practice, kind of just from the beginning or refresh yourself with it. Uh, so, um, Ileana, if you have that link, um, and uh, I, don't th I think it's a Donna-based, pretty sure it's Donna-based class. So if you're interested in that, you should click on that now because <laughs> it won't be here after the class. Um, uh, other stuff coming up. Um, promoting myself rather than other people. Um, well, not myself, but uh, the retreat uh, that I'm going to be co-teaching um, in October, October 24th to the 29th, uh, down uh, near Santa Cruz in the mountains, a beautiful place in the Redwoods called um, Redwood Glen. And um, again, it's going to be a live retreat. Uh, so it's you're going to have to show vac vaccination status and proof of vaccination, and then uh, also a a recent uh, test, and we'll test you on the spot. Probably have rapid testing there, so it'll be a safe bubble. And uh, you know, it's just so as I said, it's but it's so great to get together and practice together. And these these retreats, I've been teaching these since 2004 now, last year was the first time that I didn't teach a live retreat um, since then so it's great to get back there and I've got more of a team a teaching team here and for this retreat and I think our manager I saw our manager on there there's Debbie thank you Debbie <laughs> Debbie also uh, a budding teacher uh, I, want, I wanted her to to cut, learn to run retreats too. So and she's doing a really great job. And, and um, so uh, there's, there's a link for that, uh, for the, just for the flyer. And on the flyer, it gives you the email address to contact, uh, to sign up for that. And it's a pretty good price. We got a good price from them. Uh, and the housing isn't bad. It's, it's shared rooms. It's just, but it's just doubles with your own, with a bathroom which if you've been on retreat with me before, you know that's an upgrade from having to be in a dorm with 14 people. So uh, not, not spirit rock, unfortunately, but uh, uh, still pretty nice. Uh, is there anything else? Well, I just, my, I just put my website in there so that if you're interested in any of my other events, I've got a bunch of day longs and half days uh, coming up. Um, I have a half day next weekend on concentration uh, and uh, as well as my books are all on there. So, so that's the, uh, you know, advertising section of the evening. Uh, 
So uh, I mentioned uh, forgiveness and I, I mentioned that also kind of tried to tie that into my guided meditation. Uh, and it kind of it came up this week um, in the uh, teacher training, the mindfulness teacher training that I've mentor, I'm mentoring in that. And I think it was part of the, the uh, course material this month and, among other things, but it, it sort of kept coming up and, and, um, and I was thinking about, and I was seeing it sort of in other situations too. And, and, and thinking about forgiveness and it, what its role is uh, particularly in meditation practice, but also kind of trying to expand out from there. Cause it, you know, it's also really tied in with recovery as well in, in a variety of ways. And it, it's, and it's so complicated because, you know, people run into, you know, not able to forgive themselves, not able to forgive others, um, not able to forgive, you know, God, <laughs> if you have one, <laughs> if you get rid of him, you don't have a problem. So that's uh, one of my solutions. Uh, but um, so, so first, uh, uh, you know, I, I was looking through uh, my new book that, that Ileana mentioned, The Daily Reflections. It kind of, because there's so many different ones, <laughs> I can usually find something that's on the top, on a topic that I want to talk about. Um, 366 of them, I put one in for leap year. And actually the first one that I looked at is on relapse. So I thought I would start with that and maybe kind of build out from that tonight. So this is actually comes in January 11th, interestingly, but, but I guess because I was trying to connect it with the first step, but, but it kind of, you know, this is September. So it's the ninth step. And I was like, which is the, if you know, not familiar with the steps, it's about amends. And I, and I feel like relapse is kind of tied in with that in a way, but I'm just going to read a little bit of this uh, first and, We'll see where we go from that. It says relapse is part of the process of recovery, whether in repeated failures to establish recovery or a slip after many years, most of us have experienced this falling back. How we respond to relapse is a vital part of the process. A typical response is, well, I blew it. So I might as well keep drinking or using or acting out or whatever. This reaction comes out of the sense of failure and despair that's triggered, that triggered the relapse in the first place. And clearly such an attitude isn't going to help. First thing we have to do with the relapse is bring compassion and forgiveness to ourselves. It's painful to relapse and that pain deserves our care, not punishment. We know that addiction is a tough condition to live with and that many before us have slipped. So forgiveness is appropriate. It's just a recognition that we are human and as such flawed, we must forgive ourselves for our humanness. Meditation gives us a kind of microcosm through which to view relapse. Every time the mind wanders, we are relapsing. When we notice this, we don't beat ourselves up, but instead we come back to the breath and start over. Whether one day at a time or one breath at a time, recovery and spiritual growth are 
always about addressing the present moment situation, not judging or berating ourselves over our mistakes. If we aren't berating ourselves, relapse can become an opportunity to evaluate our recovery or lack thereof. With humility, we can learn a great deal from a relapse. What mistakes did we make? Where did we come up short in our efforts? What beliefs and attitudes were behind the relapse? How were we not taking care of ourselves? And what were the triggers? So I, I like making this connection. But, well, obviously, you know, because so much of what I do is Buddhism and the 12 steps. But I like making this connection where we see that, like, just losing your focus on the breath is a kind of slip, you know, and, and that how we handle that is very telling. Do we turn that into another self-judgment or self-blame? Or do we use it as a potentially an opportunity or, or a place to let go? And uh, one of my, you know, sayings, if I can say I have sayings, is that for forgiveness and compassion are my com companions in my meditation. That this idea that it's natural for the mind to wander, which is one of my stock phrases, I got from someone else, of course, like it's not a terribly original, but it's something that I often say when I'm teaching meditation, it's natural for the mind to wander means that I'm forgiving myself for the mind wandering. I'm not turning it into a problem. And it's it, but if we think about it or we, or we see that experience, we also know that the wandering mind is actually uncomfortable. Like when we are aware of the mind wandering, it, we see that there's agitation in the mind, that, that we're stirred up, that you know, there's grasping, that there's you know, what they call dukkha or suffering, and we call it in Buddhism, the dukkha, uh, this kind of sense of things aren't quite right. And so if we realize that my mind is wandering, so, and that's human, that's natural, so I forgive myself, but also it's actually uncomfortable. I could even say painful. So what's a wise response to someone who's in pain? Compassion, right? So compassion and forgiveness, if I have them as partners, as I practice, then I'm not building on the relapse, you know, I'm not building on the wandering mind by, oh, I've got to fix this. What am I doing wrong? I have to try harder. I'm no good at this. You know, whatever the story is, right? I'm just going, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, and, and, and we find that the mind wants to get quiet. You know, it's like, it's almost like your mind is saying to you, just leave me alone. You know, <laughs> If you leave me alone, I won't bother you so much. And I'll, I'll quiet down if you don't, you know, keep stirring things up. So, so I as I talk about all that, then 
you know, trying to reflect a little more deeply on the Dharma, I can see that what this is actually, actually all pointing to is back to the fundamental Buddhist teaching on the Four Noble Truths. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering. Right? And that's what we're talking about here. You know, the truth that things are just never quite perfect. They're never quite the what, you know, they, uh, things, you get things right, and then things change. You know? That inherent nature, which corresponds to, you know, it's natural for the mind to wander. And then the second noble truth, which is the reason that really, particularly on the psychological level, that things are never quite right, is because we're always looking for something else. We're always grasping after something. So we, in classical Buddhist terms, we say that there, that there is desire or there's craving, there's clinging, and that these cause the suffering, they cause the dukkha. We can see then that when, if we're in meditation and we want it to be a certain way, right? If, if we don't like the way it is, we think it should be quieter or that we shouldn't be thinking so much, that we are creating the circumstances for suffering that we are, we are, there is a desire in that there's this inherent desire to change things. And that that means that we are in conflict with reality. Things are the way they are in a moment, in a given moment. And we're saying that's not okay. It's not okay that my mind is wandering. It's not. In fact, I've read a lot of Buddhist books and I've, I know, that I'm supposed to do this. My mind is, you know, I read that beautiful book about how the mind was spacious and love was there and, you know, peace and serenity. And I'm not feeling any of that. So obviously this is a problem and I've got to get, figure out how to fix it, you know? Right. So immediately I'm in conflict with reality, which means I'm in conflict with me. You know, I'm going to duke it out with me. Oh, good luck. You know, it's like just punch yourself in the face. Why don't you go ahead? That'll work. I mean, it's kind of what we're doing, right? When we're like, oh man, what's wrong with my meditating? Right. It's like we're slapping ourselves. Why do we do that? It's just so interesting, really. Ah, this is like the human condition. And so, so we want to interrupt it. I want to interrupt that habit and say, oh, there must be another way, you know, because this one isn't working. This is just a cycle of suffering right here. I mean, the irony is that we come to meditation. Why? Well, yeah, a lot of reasons, but we Certainly we come to meditation because we think it's going to make us happier in some way, you know, going to be less stress or you know, calm, or we're going to develop, be more loving. 
And instead, we wind up in this battle with ourselves, just the opposite of what we were after. It's like, and then, and then we, I mean, we blame ourselves. We might also like sort of blame the meditation or sort of think like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure you even think about it. I think it's what, in a way, what I'm describing is, is something that's sort of not very reflective. It's just this uh, reactive way of being. But that we should come to meditation and create more suffering for ourselves is truly tragic. You know, it's really, really missing the point, you know, and, and yet, it's very human. It's very typical of us as humans, right? We set out to do something with our lives. To, we want to be happy. And then it doesn't work out the way we want. So we get mad. Like, uh, so, so, the you know, continuing with the Four Noble Truths, well, the Buddha says, actually, you know, if you are creating suffering, by grasping in the simplest terms, then it's pretty simple how you end it. Stop grasping, right? And the, you know, in the, the sort of common language, let go. You're causing suffering by clinging, let go. Oh, okay. Oh, so, okay, so I'm meditating and I'm trying to make it better. So what I should do is stop trying to make it better. But wait a minute, that can't work. <laughs> Doesn't that mean like, I'm just going to be sitting here like doing nothing? <laughs> I remember seeing a, a comment one time by somebody who was like anti-meditation. I don't, whatever, whatever that is, why ever that is. But they were like, you know, I saw a study that said that there's no different effect from meditating for an hour or just sitting and doing nothing for an hour. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're doing nothing. So like, there is no difference. It's the same thing. I digress. But this, but there's, this does, you know, challenge us because, you know, we're taught to meditate. We're given instructions. We're trying to follow the instructions. We think, well, there's a method and I have to follow the method and I'd have to get good at the method. What is the method? Teach me how to do it. And then there, you're saying, well, yeah, there's a method, but like, don't worry about it if it's not working. <laughs> like, if it's not working, just like stop worrying about it. Like that can't possibly work. So of course it's, this is like the, the subtle paradox of meditation practice. And I'll go back to the beginning of the meditation session when I talked about the paradox of the posture, because the paradox of the posture is directly correlates to the paradox of the mental posture. You know, being upright and alert and relaxing at the same time. Well, how can I do that? You know, so how can I 
do the practice and at the same time not strive. And so this is where mindfulness comes in, you know, mindfulness, the perhaps uh, in, in my mind that maybe the most important element of mindfulness in meditation is mindfulness of effort. Mindfulness of the quality of effort that I am applying. If I pay attention to that, then I can pay attention to what I'm grasping and what I'm letting go. And if I track that, rather than worrying about whether I'm with the breath or not, I mean, it's great. Come to the breath if you can, but but watch. You know, if you can, if you can, like, kind of go between these two things. Like, okay, I'm trying to pay attention to the breath, and I'm noticing what the trying, what's happening in the quality of the trying. This is the the kind of trick, and and this is why I I, I like this idea of tracking that there are, and that as I'm meditating, I'm tracking several things. I'm, I'm starting by tracking the breath, right? But I'm also tracking the effort that I'm making with the breath. And I'm also tracking, if the mind wanders, I'm tracking the, the thoughts and I'm also tracking the feelings. So it's like multi-tracking. Yeah, just like recording. I'm a musician, so, you know, multi-tracking is how we make a record. So... Uh, now I'm getting into the mechanics of meditation, which is it's sort of not what I meant to do, but you know it happens. Uh, so I'll, I'll just I'll just say that uh, uh, so in the in the mechanics of it that I'm talking about when I'm talking about tracking, it means that you're kind of kind of checking. So you're you're kind of checking around, uh, particularly if you're finding like. Oh, my mind keeps wandering. Okay, I need, kind of need to check. Okay, is, am I striving? Yes or no? Okay, if I'm not striving, if that's not what's causing the problem, is there an emotion there that I'm not seeing? Yes or no? No. And so we kind of go through this checklist. Am I actually feeling the breath or am I just being kind of vague about it? And so we kind of like check, and then, you know, not in a sort of um, stressful way, like I got to keep checking, <laughs> which right turns into another thing, but in this kind of subtle, oh, what's happening right now? And, you know, if you go through a meditation period and you're thinking the whole time, you will not be arrested. No. So, so taking time, like understanding that, that what I'm describing is a very subtle, complex process that doesn't happen typically, I'd say, when you, someone first tells you how to meditate. 
And it's one of the reasons why meditation retreats are so helpful because you meditate so much on a retreat that you get to see all these different things much more rapidly and for a longer period of time. And also at a certain point, you kind of give up because it's just like, I can't manage this. And when you give up, that's when your meditation tends to improve. If I can say, I don't even like to say improve because it just, again, sort of sounds like, you know, good, bad. So, so let me come back. Well, maybe I ought to go to the fourth noble truth because I was kind of going through the, so the first noble truth is the truth that, you know, you're in med, meditation terms. It's kind of like, inevitably your mind is going to wander. The second truth is it's probably going to wander a lot of the time because you're trying to control things. You're trying to make something happen. The third noble truth is if you let go and don't strive so much, it's going to tend to settle down. The fourth noble truth is here's the process by which all that unfolds. And it's another list and it's got eight things in it, the eightfold path. And so you realize like, okay, if I'm going to get this, I'm going to really get this. And I'm going to understand how to work with these eight different facets. It's going to take some time. So I'm going to need some patience. I don't know if anybody here was on the retreat last week. Uh, I don't see anybody, but uh, the my co-teacher Greg uh, gave a beautiful talk on patience, and I wish we had uh, been able to record it. But uh, it, it, it kind of it caught it caught a lot of things. But the but uh, um, you know it takes time and. Much like, you know, to draw another parallel with recovery, you know, somebody comes to the program first day, we don't expect them and they don't expect their life to be all better overnight. After 30 days, we say, congratulations, you made it through a month. Here's a chip, you know, and we still don't expect that much from them. We just say, keep coming back, you know. Keep showing up. Don't drink or use no matter what, you know. Maybe after a year, we start thinking, you know, probably, hopefully your life's starting to get better, you know. After two years, hey, I know for me, two years was like a critical point. But we're still kind of saying, you're sort of just learning the way. You know, so when you come to meditation, do you expect that in one day or 30 days that you're going to get, become a you know, adept at meditation, it kind of takes about as long as it takes to recover, which is like forever. <laughs> I've got 36 years sober. I've been practicing Buddhist meditation for 40 years. I feel like I'm about in the same place with both. Like, yeah, they're pretty good. I, you know, I'm a, my meditation's okay. My recovery's pretty good, you know, but <laughs> it ain't perfect. Not a single day is perfect, either of them. And so, uh, okay. So I wanted to bring it back uh, one more time to uh, forgiveness and compassion. And, uh, you know, how we see as we practice meditation that 
it's not so much, maybe it's not at all, a striving that really makes stuff happen. That more than anything, I think that what allows a meditation practice to mature is time. Just like recovery. When someone, you know, talks about the recovery, and if they say they've been sober for 10 years, you don't ask them if they, how sober they've been for those 10 years. It's just like, we know that if somebody manages that, usually a lot of changes happen. I mean, I know there's exceptions. There's, but with meditation, it's very much the same, that it just kind of ripens, you know, and it, it's about showing up day by day, not about like right now, how is my meditation? I got to get it this time. It's showing up, being there and being, being patient and not creating a struggle out of it. So, so uh, you know, another thing that I think is behind this is faith. Uh, you know, there's, uh, we need to have a certain, and, and it, you don't, it doesn't come, the faith comes through the process. It's not like, oh, I have to believe in this before I do it. I mean, you have to believe in it a little bit or you wouldn't try it. Why would you even try to meditate if you didn't have some faith in it? Because it's a pretty pointless activity otherwise. But if you have an, enough faith to see that, oh, just showing up and then trust that I don't have to control it and trust that your own, you know, inherent goodness, the, the thing that's, that's carrying you, that's the thing that's making you show up in the first place. What is that? You know, there's something in you that, yeah, you want to be happier. You want to be a more whatever person, you know, it, people don't show up to do this meditation because they want to learn how to be better assholes. You know, it's just not, that's not like a thing <laughs> or, to, or, uh, I, and I think very few show up because they want to become better CEOs, you know, and make more money and whatever, it, it, you know, the fact that you're here on a, right now, there's 52 people. I guess that includes me and Ileana. So I'll say 50 people here who have come here not to make money, not to impress anybody, not to get more power, you know, but to, I guess in the simplest terms, be a better person, you know, <laughs> internally and externally. So if that's, what's bringing you here, then I think you can trust yourself to be kind to yourself rather than saying, I've got to work harder because I'm not a good enough person. If I don't meditate well, if I don't, if my mind isn't empty or my heart isn't full of love, then I'm doing it. I'm not good. And I need to work harder. You know, like, wow, that's, is that really going to get you anywhere? 
you know, that's one of the things about meditation that's very distinctive. You know, in most activities in life, trying harder, doing more, pushing more is the way to do it. You know, I watch a lot of sports and, you know, the, the, the greatest athletes tend to be ones that work really hard all the time and push themselves all the time, you know, and, and, you know, great, but, you know, meditation isn't a sport, you know, it, it isn't an achievement. It's not something, there's nothing to achieve. So it's very counter to our, our cultural training, our, our instinct about how, how to get good at something. So to come with this faith, faith in this practice and faith in yourself that, you know, I don't like to be that simplistic, like you're already a good person, but you probably are, you know, <laughs> yeah, good enough, you know. And so what, what is going to support this is just being gentle in the process and letting it unfold, trusting in the process to unfold the, the other element of faith, the faith in yourself, but trusting in this process and realizing that, you know, there is no schedule. Some people, their meditation deepens quickly. You know, some people it deepens slowly, but everyone who stays with it, it deepens. It, I think of it as deepening and expanding. So depth and breadth, just they, they happen. And so what actually, if you want to know how to make it go faster, <laughs> be kind to yourself in the process. Be gentle with yourself in the process. Bring forgiveness and compassion. Forgiveness to yourself for being an imperfect meditator and compassion for yourself for the pain of being an imperfect meditator, you know, what a concept, like, woo, this is difficult, you know, not, uh, you know, uh, I said, okay, 50, 50 people are here. That means that like about 7 billion people aren't here. And that, (laughs) think of what the the (laughs) Zoom would look like. Presumably it would crash, but, you know, you are, you, you, there's not that many people who choose to do this work. Uh, And I, and I know, uh, you know, pride is not uh, uh, something that supports our spiritual growth either, but appreciation of yourself, appreciation of your willingness of your effort, uh, of your inherent goodness, you know, that's, that's okay. You know, and it, it will, if anything's going to support the development of your practice, it's going to be those qualities much more than any striving or any technique um, that you do. It's that showing up, showing up with consistency, and doing it with this attitude of forgiveness and compassion. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that made sense. It's kind of late at night for me to be talking. 
I might be dreaming. I don't know. Uh, but I, I really appreciate people showing up and, and listening. And, you know, I, I see a lot of faces that it doesn't, I don't see people falling asleep. So that's, that's good. So I thank you. I'm just bringing the attention into your heart, into the chest, feeling the breath moving. And seeing if you can connect with the idea that in your heart, in your body, there is a field of loving energy. So if you feel your body as an energetic field, which it is, and having a sense of inviting in someone who is very dear to you into this field of loving energy. This field of loving energy in your heart, you might see it as radiating or even kind of being surrounded, held within this field and inviting in a dear one, a loved person, a loved, beloved person. So they are now fully held in this field of loving energy. And in fact, they too embody that energy. and inviting in other people that are dear to you, family or friends. So the field of loving energy expands to contain all those you love, everyone who comes to mind. And now invite everyone in this class right now and everyone in this group into this field of loving energy, feeling it opening and radiating, expanding to hold each of us. This field radiating from your heart, growing large. Now beginning to rate to welcome. Oh, goodness, hello. <laughs>
Letting this field of loving energy radiate out across the land, across this continent until you've invited in all the beings on this planet into this vast now field of loving energy. A limitless radiating from your heart. Holding all the beings on this planet, those who are happy and those who are sad, those who are healthy and those who are ill, those being born and those dying. All the beings on this planet held in this vast field of loving energy. Holding the planet itself in this field. In the words of the Buddha, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, abundant, exalted, immeasurable. All right, thank you all so much for coming tonight. It's actually really enjoyable for me. So uh, a gift to be able to share. Um, just for those who don't know, I've been uh, teaching regularly on Zoom Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And when I'm not here at Spirit Rock, uh, on that same Zoom link, which is on my website, um, Friday nights at seven o'clock. So, um, so come and, and join us. It's been a really nice group for this last year and a half. So I wish you all well and being safe and enjoying your life with forgiveness and compassion. Blessings. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.